Let me ask you a question. Do you have a deep knowing that you're only just scratching the surface of where you're capable of taking your business growth? Are you successful but have some invisible hurdles that are slowing you down? Business growth comes from creating and implementing strategies and frameworks, but strategies and frameworks on their own will not take you to the level I know you desire and are capable of. Living in alignment with your unique human design will help you to attract the abundance you are ready for. And I've just created a free guide to help you understand your unique human design blueprint. It's called the Human Design Advantage, and you can get your copy over at samanthariley.global forward slash advantage. Create more impact on the world around us. The business is bigger. It's probably more resilient as well as something that we need to keep in mind. But I've kind of got this now sense of shared purpose. I want them to feel empowered and not afraid to try new things, to innovate to take responsibility and be empowered. And as you just mentioned, to be working collectively towards a shared purpose. My name is Samantha Riley, and this is the podcast for coaches, course creators, and experts who want to grow their influence, income, and impact to take their coaching business to a million dollars and beyond. We're going to share the latest business growth, marketing and leadership strategies, as well as discussing how you can use your human design to create success in business and life inside and out. Create the influence, income and impact you need to build your business so you can create your ideal lifestyle. It's time to make a difference and scale up. This is the Influence by Design podcast. Welcome to today's episode of Influence by Design. I'm your Thursday co-host, Samantha Riley, joined by my Thursday co-host, Tim Hyde. How are you, Tim? I'm doing fantastic. Sam, I'm uh, in the midst of puppy training at the moment, and I'm sure that you'll hear in the background on this podcast from time to time as we pay attention to them. I must admit, um, I'm quite envious of dog trainers now. They do an absolutely incredible job. Yeah. And it's much harder than it looks. Certainly much I certainly I find it much harder than doing business and, and growing your team and <laughs> and influence. Watching you running around your office for the last half an hour catching trees and taking squeaky toys and it's actually made me laugh. It feels like I'm watching you with a brand new little toddler. Well, it's like having a new team member, really. <laughs> they need constant they need constant attention. Let's talk about team. That's today's topic, empowering your team. This is something that you and I have been really focused on for the last, well, certainly for me in the last year. I know you definitely in the last half of the year did some, had some really awesome strategies that you used to empower your team. But before we sort of dive into how we can empower our team, why don't we start about talking about why? Like, why do we want to be empowering our team? Because I think that this is a really important conversation because a lot of people miss this piece. Yeah, like I agree, Sam. Like sort of as we have this conversation, I'm reflecting back to, you know, where I was probably two years ago, even two and a half years ago, it was just me and my business. There was nobody else. And, you know, over the last two and a half years, I've grown that now to, to six and we're, we're talking to in conversations with someone else about coming on as an account manager and whilst there's certainly additional stress of you know having that responsibility that additional responsibility i think the impact and the opportunity that it's created by having a team around me and i know you feel the same way 
actually is more empowering. We can certainly create more impact on the world around us. You know, the business is bigger. It's probably more resilient as well as something that we need to keep in mind. But I've kind of got this now sense of shared purpose, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, that I didn't think I would have. And it's, it's been a really interesting, uh, I guess, self-discovery that having this shared purpose and this shared vision is actually really something that I look forward to getting up every day to try and do with my team. Mm, I really like the way you describe that. I think for me, why I wanted to empower my team is I don't like being the person that is being micromanaged. I don't like having someone looking over my shoulder. I absolutely hate that feeling. You know, when that's happening, I'm usually, you know, holding back. I'm a little bit nervous of making mistakes. I'm certainly not being innovative. And I don't want my team to feel that way. I want them to feel empowered and not afraid to try new things, to innovate, to take responsibility and be empowered and as you just mentioned, to be working collectively towards a shared purpose. And I think that that's really why we want to empower our team. So we've got the whole company moving forward with this one vision rather than us as the CEO of our business, knowing that we want to go there, but almost having the rest of the team like a ball and chain sort of holding us back. And I know that a lot of people have that feeling that a team sort of, takes up too much of their time or, you know, is, doesn't have the same want or excitement to move forward and grow the company. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, that's obviously some of the issues that we face when we have a team. Over Christmas, I actually shared some stuff from Robert Kiyosaki, and many of our listeners will know who Robert Kiyosaki is. He's written Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Cashflow Quadrant and get yourself a, you know, a copy of Cashflow of the Game, which is quite a cool one. But there's these stages of, I guess, investment maturity that he talks about that. And the first one of those is that you, you, know, you have a job, right? You're an employee, you work for someone else. And it's a, quite an easy shift to go from having a job to owning a job where you are the employee. And I think one thing that you picked up there around empowering your team it's almost allowing yourself to let go of owning that job to now owning a business. And if you don't empower your team to have some responsibilities and be able to execute those responsibilities that maybe you had before, you're never going to move from that own a job to own a business stage. Absolutely. Right. So you're not going to progress. You're going to keep it in this glass ceiling that doesn't allow you to sort of step forward into that next, I guess, that next tier of entrepreneurial maturity (laughs) absolutely so if you're having symptoms in your business like you are the bottleneck this would be one of the biggest symptoms i see or one of the other symptoms i see is being caught feeling like you can't get a task done because every two seconds you've got someone saying what do i do next how do i do this which in turn when that happens you're essentially creating a team that has a habit of indecision, you're turning that indecision into a habit, then you really need to be paying attention to what we're talking about today because whilst these are symptoms, there is quite an easy fix. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, Sam. You know, there is an easy fix to this, but this is this kind of legacy thinking, right? You know, at some point in our business, we were the person who did everything, right? And we wanted it done a certain way. I'm very much reminded of a, of a conversation I had with a builder recently who was 
complaining to me that the apprentices that were coming out of the Institute of Technology, you know, with their certificate, their building certification, were not at the standard that he expected them to be for where he was with, you know, 40, 50 years of building experience. Oh, well, of course. Of course, right? I'm going, dude, this is your point of difference in the market, right? You've got to take this raw material and you've got to show them, right? But the thing that he kept saying for weeks and weeks and weeks was, oh, look, I just get sick of it. I do it myself. And while you keep doing it yourself, you're still in that, you know, own a job stage. You're never actually letting those people step into the role, which frees you up to do the things that you probably should do, right? So, you know, we talk about this thing about being the bottleneck in our business. And at some point, I think everybody goes through this and probably for longer than they need to be before you actually look in the mirror one day and go, you know what? The problem with my business is me. Absolutely. And I am doing things that I shouldn't do. Now, it takes a bit of vulnerability to admit that to yourself. But I think the sooner we can admit that to ourselves, the sooner we can start to go, look, I'm going to surround myself with really great people and give them the tools that they need to succeed. And that's what should be my job as the business owner, the entrepreneur, right? Absolutely. Because that's when, you know, that's that pivotal moment where you start to transition and you start to see some incredible results. Yeah. I think that what happens is, you know, we do come into our business as most of us, not everyone, but most of us come in as the sole operator. We start off just with a team of me, myself and I, we're working on the business. We're doing more things than we should because we're you know, we're just hustling and we're bootstrapping to get our business up and running. But we've never given ourselves the promotion coming out of that. We've never, we've always stayed in that position. So it's time to give yourself the promotion if this is something that's happening in your business and promote yourself to the CEO and allow the rest of the team to take ownership of their position. Yeah, and even potentially then sacking themselves as they progress through the business as well. 100%, 100%. Let's look at what it looks like when get it right, right? What it looks like when it's successful. What's what's it meant for your business, Sam? What do you think the change has been since you kind of sacked yourself from that bottleneck position and said, team, come up with something? What does that, what does that look like from a business perspective now? What it looks like is me being able to 100% focus on what I need to focus on so I've created this culture in our team that they are able to get on and work on tasks. If they don't know the answer, they don't have to come to me. They can work together to come up with something, which means that not only are they doing the work, but as they do that and as they're getting used to doing that and as they're getting used to working with me, they're actually able to come to me and say, hey, we've got an even better idea for how this can work. or we have got a better idea of how we can take this off your plate or how we can implement this different piece of tech. So what it means is that it's freed up my time to do what I want. And when I've got a vision of or a new idea, I'm able to go to them and say, hey, I've got this idea, just run with it. And they're not afraid to. Yeah, I really love that. I think the interesting one about that was that it's allowed you to have that high level thinking. You know, you've been freed up for it. I must admit, if I go back to, you know, my corporate days, one of my very early mentors was fond of saying, don't come with me, come at me with problems, right? Come at me with solutions to problems I didn't know I had. Yeah. And I must admit, it's incredibly refreshing when your team come at you and say, 
hey, we recognise this problem in the business and we've just solved it and this is how we did that. <laughs> and, now we're, and now we're all better for it. Yeah, so, so good. Yeah. Let's look at a couple of tips because I think, you know, certainly success for me looks the same and I've noticed that with my team as well. Let's look at some some tips. Now, we've got six tips, I think, that if you get these right or start to implement a version of these in your business, and in fact, I would probably suggest that you not do it, that you get your team to implement these things for you. Yeah. <laughs> we've got a couple of tips here that we'll share, and I think these are probably important I guess, frameworks to put in that will allow you to start freeing up. You will see that that cultural shift in your business. And the first of those really starts with getting your onboarding culture right, your onboarding process right. Absolutely. So I feel that a lot of people think about empowering your team sort of once they're on board, like, you know, once they've come in and once they've been trained and, you know, think that this is something that happens down the road. Once they're trusted, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. But in actual fact, it happens from the very, very first moment they come into your business. When we're onboarding a team member, we're telling them, you know, this is the people that you're working with. This is the values of our company. One of the things that I very much say, because our team is offshore, is that we have an Australian culture in our company that if you've got a question, please ask. Don't be afraid to ask. So we're really being very upfront so they know right from day one, this is how we work. So it's not just the onboarding process of, if you've got a question, this is where you go first. This is the link to the training modules. Go and look there first. So we're training them to not come to us looking for an answer, but knowing where they should go and find the answer first. Then also what it looks like if they can't find the answer. Who do they go to first? They actually go back to the team first. They don't come to me. So it is all in that onboarding process and the culture that we have as a company that the other team members know that if that person's come with a question, then they all put their heads together and work it out. What's your onboarding process look like, Tim? I'm actually, I mean, it's a, look, it's a constant evolution, I will admit that, but we do set that from the foundations. I'm like even down to actually... You know, every time we we run a meeting, we're actually reinforcing what our company values are, what our company mission is. Every week, we talk about what those things and what they actually mean. And that's embedded not only in our hiring process, but our onboarding process now as well, that we constantly actually keep coming back to that. And to the point where I've actually started introducing that into our performance management process as well. Now, I know you're kind of doing that almost every single week with your team as well, but you know, I'm doing a, a quarterly review with my team now and actually asking one of the questions is not, you know, did you do A, B, C, D, E, you know, tasks is, you know, show us how you demonstrated our company values. Show us how you demonstrated innovation. Show us how you demonstrated that you sort of stepped outside your comfort zone and, and helped another team member with something that wasn't necessarily your area of responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, give us those examples as part of that performance review process. And I think doing that kind of thing constantly, you know, reinforces that, you know, we have a culture of empowerment here that we want people to sort of identify something and go, look, how do we make this better for everybody in the business? Yeah, absolutely. So I think what you've just described there is including your team in planning, which was our second point that including them in the planning so that they all understand what the outcome is and they can each bring 
their own unique genius ideas to that, knowing that you're all going towards this one goal. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I did that you know, for the first time in my annual planning process last year where at a high level I sort of said, look, I think this is where we're at in terms of lead generation and onboarding and, and admin and, and a, a bunch of sort of key focuses for the business. You know, we had a conversation as a team about whether we thought that assessment was correct or not, right? And then actually sent them off, not me going into the room and leading them because I had noticed previously you know, they're all just sitting around watching me talk about what I think the issues are. <laughs> I actually put them into breakout rooms and we all did it remotely. I said, here's an issue we've got. You know, these are the things we're doing in this space. What can we do? What can we stop doing, start doing or continue doing? What can we do better to move the needle just, you know, one, you know, 1%, 10%, whatever it happens to be in these areas and get a better result here? What would you do? you know, come up with some ideas and let's table those and we'll have a conversation about them, right? Now, obviously, the buck still stops with me. Some of the ideas we threw out because we're just, you know, financially not able to do those things or, you know, from a resource perspective, we're not able to do these things or they take the business potentially in a different direction than the vision, but, you know, gave them the opportunity to go, well, look, if I want to get better results from our podcast, what can we do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? Come up with some ideas, team. And I think even including, you know, maybe someone from the mailroom, if you're a bigger organisation, you know, in that process, you might be surprised about where really strong ideas come from. Absolutely. People that are at the coalface, they're seeing things from a different perspective and everyone's perspective matters. It all counts. So number three is structuring team meetings. I think that this is a really great way to empower your team to own what it is they do and own the outcomes that some of the questions that we ask our team every team meeting is you know what are your wins what was something that you're really proud of from you know from the last week or month depends on which team members we're talking with and what's something that you feel that you could do better and that is structured in a way of we're not talking about you know what did you do that was bad it was what could you do better because as the team member is thinking that through for themselves, they're able to come up with their own ideas. And, you know, it's quite interesting because sometimes some of the things that they say, I could do this better, what they did in the first place was actually quite okay. But it's always getting them to step up and always be thinking outside the box. You know, how can we improve this? Yeah, I completely agree with that. And that's something that I ask my team to do every single day. You know, what can I do better tomorrow? What can I do better tomorrow? Wow, that's great. And you're not necessarily going to do better tomorrow, right? There's obviously external influences and stuff like that. But if we have that mindset, right, and we build that into our culture of how can we improve, I say this to my, ironically, I say this to my team of boys I coach in rugby, right? You know, there's 15 kids on the paddock. But if every one of you play just 10% more, you know, just give that 10% effort, you know, get into that ruck 10% harder, Right. You know, over 15 players, well, that's an extra one and a half players on the team, you know, on the paddock at time. So we're playing 16 and a half against 15. Right. So, yeah. right? Totally. Clearly that's going to give us an advantage. And, and that's the mindset we want to come into our business with as well. And when we look at our team, it's not one A player being, you know, you dear listener and a bunch of support cast, right? 
if everybody is now operating at 110 or 120 percent you know maybe you know because they've got this opportunity to step up you may actually find that you're getting a lot more result than you otherwise get mm. back in the days of dance one of my teachers used to say the team's only as strong as the weakest link i understand it i don't particularly like the analogy anymore because I don't like to think of there being a weak link but at the same time you know we do have to be thinking that you know we are working as a team and coming through yep absolutely let's look at tip number four we're up to number four now wow yeah I think one I know you do and we do this as well is having a bottleneck register yeah I think this is so so important this is only brand new for us we only implemented this in December and it is already working really well. And what we've done is we've created a Slack channel just called the bottleneck register. And at any time there is a team member that's had trouble with something, something hasn't gone well, they've been frustrated because there's a, a friction point, rather than stew on it or get upset about it or take up a lot of time, all they do at the exact time that it's happening is they put a note in our Slack channel which means that it's out of their head. They can just move on with the day, but it also means that we can deal with it when we see it or bring it up in the next team meeting. So it doesn't get forgotten because I think that a lot of times when we're emotionally, you know, when our emotions are high and things aren't going well, that's when we tend to make them into, to, you know, mountains, to molehills into mountains. So it's about getting that bottleneck out, out into the open, shining light on it so that we can deal with it. Yeah, look, and it doesn't have to be, you know, it could be a Google Sheet or a Slack channel or a, whatever you wanted to use to kind of record them. But I do think it's important that we put that in and then at a later time come back and review what's on your list, right? And start to ask, is this a recurring issue? Right? Was it a once-off? Who's going to own it? You know, how do we fix this so that it doesn't happen again? Mm, totally. I certainly do that with a process we're doing what we call a before and after action review on every task we execute in the business now. And literally once a week we have sign-off meeting, we go through everything, we go, you know, how do we go with that? Did we get success? What can we do better next time? Right? Do we have an operating procedure, a standard operating procedure for this particular thing? Right? And if not, do we need one? Right? But coming back and looking at that either task list or that issues register and making an assessment about whether those things are going to reoccur is an incredibly valuable thing. And again, making sure that your business is constantly moving forward. Totally, totally. So number five, I'd love you to speak into this one, Tim. Yeah, I think it comes around, and number five is around action and ownership, I think, of stuff. I know we keep talking about this, right? And if you, anyone in the leadership space will, be, will talk about this as well, about micromanagement. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, Sam, you touched on it earlier in the podcast as well, no one likes being micromanaged. It's horrible. It is one of my worst feelings. <laughs> it's so disempowering. It's so disempowering. When you are the person being micromanaged and told exactly what to do and, and stuff, right? Now, some people thrive in that environment, but Jesus, it's, it's very onerous. We don't want to be that micromanager. And for some reason, micromanagers still exist. I don't understand why micromanagers still exist when you just get an absolutely terrible outcome. Every single time you will get a worse outcome if you micromanage than if you actually empower the people that are working for you. And I think by assigning 
ownership of a thing and the, in the, what the actions of that are, we can actually start to be more outcome focused, not necessarily worry about, I guess, how someone arrived at that outcome. It might put some framework in place, but we've got to be more concerned with the outcome. Is that moving us to where we want to go? Less about how we got there. Let me give you a little example of how this could be showing up in someone's business. And I'm going to say that this has definitely happened to me. And I know that you will understand this too, Tim. I don't think any of us are immune to this. But at some stage going, it will just be quicker to do it myself. I'm sure we've all said it. The problem with it's just quicker to do it myself means that you will be doing it forever because no one else knows that they should be doing it or maybe they don't understand that it has to be done. So it, in the long run, it actually isn't quicker. So by, you know, passing that job on, allowing someone else to do it, it might be slower the first time while you're training that person to do it or explaining why it hasn't been done properly. But in the long run, from that point, they now have context and they know that this is something that has to be done. So that's definitely one of my little pet hates. It's just quicker to do it myself. Yeah, look, I'd agree. And look, often it is, right? As the owner of the business, you're the person that's bringing the absolute wealth of experience to the table. You've done it for 20, 30, 40 years, right? 10 years. The person you're giving it to has done it for six months. They will not get the same result as you, but they will never get the same result of you if you keep doing it. Well said. Right. So we have the opportunity to condense all that knowledge down and hand it over so we get that result quicker. Absolutely. About the only thing that I don't want to outsource to somebody else is uh, spending my profits. <laughs> no, you'd like to keep that for yourself? Yeah, I reckon I'd be, I'm pretty comfortable keeping that one for myself. Well, actually, there are little things that I have kept in my business, and now you've said that, I reconcile my own accounts still, and I always will. I want to have my finger on the pulse and know exactly what's happening. I have a bookkeeper that I hand that off to because I don't need to do anything after that. But that is still something that I choose to do to be able to see exactly. I want to know at all times exactly what's happening in my business. Well, it comes back to that great goal of entrepreneurship and business ownership is the freedom of choice to do what we want to do. Exactly. That's the goal. Exactly. Last tip, obviously, reward and recognition. Right? When someone steps up and does something that's really powerful make sure that you recognize and reward that we want to foster that you know that outcome can i give you another perspective of that as well and it comes under this same banner when someone does innovate and it doesn't go well don't reprimand them because that will make them afraid to innovate next time so unless they've done something that is really wrong and against whatever the rules are that you've set if they're just trying something and it hasn't worked then don't come down on them because you don't want your team to be afraid of trying new things, innovating, because essentially that's what us as entrepreneurs do all day, every day. We don't know what's going to work and what's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do. <laughs> There's some frameworks. but <laughs> No, we do not. Don't know about you, but I still feel like I'm flying by the seat of my pants all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's just quickly recap those. Obviously, empowering your team is an incredibly valuable thing to accelerate the growth of your business. And when you get it right, stuff just happens without you necessarily being involved and your team will start to come with you with solutions, not problems. Six tips we think we should just look at. Definitely look at your onboarding process. Include your team in all of your planning process as well. You'd be surprised at what they come up with. Make sure you're having structured team meetings that involve everyone to back against that planning. 
put together some form of bottleneck register, whether it be Slack or Google Docs or you know anything else. Make sure that you're assigning action and ownership for responsibility, being very outcome focused, not necessarily the micromanager on how those outcomes are achieved and make sure that you reward and recognize innovation in your business. Absolutely. And if you're thinking that it is time for you to grow your business, then you definitely need to be making sure that you are leaning into team. If you can climb a mountain on your own, it's not a very big mountain meaning that the more impact that you want to make or the more growth you want to have, you will need people along the way to help you. So I've actually put together a, a resource for coaches to, and where I talk about the five biggest mistakes that coaches make that prevent them from creating a high-performing team. And you can get that free resource at samanthariley.global forward slash team. So I highly recommend you jump in and grab that. Thanks for joining us today. If you've liked today's episode, uh, jump up to the top of your phone, hit the three dots, like, subscribe, and feel free to share with someone you think might get value from this episode. Sam, it's been a wonderful episode as always. Good to see you. You too. And thank you for listening to the show. We'll catch you on the flip side. Ciao. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Influence by Design podcast. If you want more, head over to samanthariley.global forward slash podcast for the show notes and links to today's gifts and sponsors. And if you're looking to connect with other coaches and experts who are growing and scaling their business too, come and join the Coaches Course Creators and Speakers group on Facebook. The links are all waiting for you over at samanthariley.global.